Welcome, Travelers Blueprint community. I am Elliot Shibley, and here with me, as always, is the self-starter, Robert Domeno. Self-starter. Thank you. I appreciate that one. You're welcome. Before we get into the episode, uh, very quickly, today's guest was an incredible one, Charlie Hammerton. He's best known for his journey with Bandit, his travel partner, best friend, and pet ferret. So Charlie now speaks about his adventures and life in hopes that he inspires others to overcome loss and mental health struggles. He had a beautiful story, lots of travel in there, and we really just kind of dove into his own personal experiences. It was a really good one, and we really we think you're going to like this one a lot. Yeah, a lot of hope in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and before we get into that full episode, uh, give you a little insight into what we have going on. So as as we've talked about over the last several months, we have created a Traveler's Blueprint tutorial that you can visit us on our website. It's through Thinkific. It's 52 lessons. It helps you become your own travel agent. And think of it like being a travel architect, hence the traveler's blueprint. And it goes through five different things between safety, social norms. It goes through itinerary building, navigating, and finding flights and going through blogs and research to find what to do and where to eat. So we've got our new travel tip of the week, which this week, if you are on Google Flights, there is a way to turn on a track flight option, which will then send you email notifications when prices change or if anything changes, whether that's going up or down. Yeah, I use this all the time. I actually have one set for Bermuda right now. So anytime the flight, three, so it's three round trip tickets, my wife and my daughter, for a certain period of time, uh, nonstop. And I have it tracked. So in my email, whenever it goes up or down, I get an email notification. If it goes down enough, I can just then jump on the flight very easily. So it sort of does the work, the research for you and and allows you to sort of forget about it and hope that it goes down, of course. Yep. And if you find this podcast entertaining, please consider giving us a review on iTunes or whichever podcast platform you listen on. It does really help us and become established and gain credibility within the podcasting and travel realm. And we do offer other travel consulting services. For example, because of our experience with purchasing flights, we will help you find a flight at a reduced discount. And we'll, for that, we will just take 20% of the savings that you've earned. And we also have our itinerary layout that Bob will help you walk through one-on-one consulting. And then we have uh, our own Philly tour guide, which is Keschler Tybert, and he is based in Philly. He's been on the show several times and he is a great guy. Please check out our website to see exclusive tours through us with him. And that's it. Let's get into the show with Charlie. Welcome to the Traveler's Blueprint. Start designing your next adventure. Welcome to the Traveler's Blueprint Podcast. Thank you very much for having me. I'm looking forward to this. We are very much looking forward to it as well. Bob and I came across your story last year around this time, and it was kind of funny. We were we were anticipating getting you on and reaching out to you, and then turn of events, you actually reached out to us, and here we are. So a little bit of backstory, and we'll talk about how you reached this point, but you traveled quite extensively with your best friend, Bandit, who is your pet ferret. And yeah, that's, that's right. It, it is such a heartwarming story. And I know it has uh, rough beginnings for the reason you did it. 
And I just want to, before we get into all of that, I want to start by asking you what happened prior to you um, going on this trip with Bandit and what was the reason for your interest in traveling? Before uh, we hit the road, well, years leading up to it, I'd had a, a, a difficult teenage life um, with um, my my family and uh, my living situation. Um, I managed to escape it all and I joined the Royal Air Force and I had a, a really good short career. I really enjoyed myself there and that's where I, that's where I uh, first rescued Bandit. And it was during that time that my, my mother passed away. Um, I just really struggled with uh, what my purpose was in the military. And I decided to leave, uh, get a normal job. And I just found that that wasn't my thing either. That wasn't what I was supposed to be doing at the time. So instead of trying to fit in, I decided to uh, sell everything I had and, and just hit the road. So there's, there is so much to it um, that we could, talk about and i'm sure we're going to get into it but that's loosely the gist of it yeah and i i feel for you i lost my mom last year right. and she was all around 55 and it was oh, i'm sorry to hear that it's so similar then my mom was uh, i think she was about 54 53 yeah and your your mom passed away from a motor neuron yeah so in the in the states it's uh, als als uh, that's actually what, what my grandfather passed away from and my, my okay. mom that passed away her her father passed away when she was 15 from ALS. Wow. Yeah. And it's more common than people think, you know, it's about one in one in 350 people. So, yeah. Yeah. And my mom passed away from ovarian cancer. She had it for three years. Wow. Yeah. And we've, oh, we've talked that. about that and we actually were supposed to take a trip uh, a year and a half ago to Iceland and I, through the, way the world works i ended up having a lung collapse and was not able to go on that trip so i was the one that wow. held us back from traveling no way uh, that crazy. is that when covid19 restrictions are lifted i think iceland will be one of the first places i go and my sister and i plan to take our mom's ashes there and give her the trip she deserved oh that's beautiful man yeah uh yeah it's that's, it's tough yeah, that's it's profound for both of you then, isn't it? It's a nice, nice place to go, uh, to travel and, and do the exciting thing that people like us live for. But then there's, you know, that, that double meaning in there with your Absolutely. mom's ashes. That's, yeah. yeah. Give, give travel. I mean, travel has always been meaningful to us. And I think every guest we've had on the podcast, travel is meaningful and that's why we have them. And most of our listeners have find meaning in travel in one form or another. It's not just a vacation. And travel has meant, it seems like it's meant the world to you. You've sold everything and you just picked up with Bandit and went. Which yeah, is, so I never thought I would do that. I never, like, travel is everything. Uh, that, that never really fit into yeah. who I was at all. Um, I thought it was a bit like, oh, bloody hippies. <laughs> right. running away from their responsibilities, having fun. Like, who do they think? <laughs> yeah, and especially the Trustafarians. Yeah. Ones that yeah. are just like they have a full safety net. They can do whatever they want. Money is limitless, and they're yeah. just trying to find who they are. And I mean, I think in a sense, you were trying to find who you were and find a bigger purpose. But you also just wanted to not get into a rut. Yeah, yeah. And I and I, there were so many people that said I lost 
friends because they're very, very close friends that um, I love dearly because of that that choice. They thought I'd gone mad. And um, it, it was like a larger thing. There was like a bigger calling to go and do something and see things and experience things. So, yeah, it's funny how it can go from something that you think of as being uh, outside the norm to something that's quite formative and created who I am and the things that I do now. Interesting. Can you bring us to those moments or that, that time period where you decided that travel was what you were going to do? And, and why did, how did you come to that idea to cope with the loss through travel? Yeah. I'm, I've just, uh, it's interesting that you mentioned this. I'm, I'm writing about this at the moment in my, my second book about all the travel. And I don't really know how it happened. I, I'd, um, <laughs> I was about three four months into a new job and i was really enjoying it and, and, and doing well it wasn't what i was supposed to be doing and i felt that and i knew that but i was okay there and i could have just carried on and just ignored you know feelings to go and do something different but my i broke up with my girlfriend that i had at the time and i had this ferret that we'd done a lot of charity events with and we'd walked across the country already and climbed mountains together and stuff like that and I just got this, like this inner voice, this this small feeling um, that just said, "Arctic Circle, camper van, <laughs> ferret, off you go." And it sounds so bizarre to think that there was a voice that said, "Drive to the Arctic Circle," but I, I can't put it in any other way that just this feeling of the Arctic Circle—that's where I I need to go to. Um, I don't really understand why I thought that or felt that I should go and do that but that's exactly how it happened I, and there's no way to explain it it's that's just how it came to me that's the first time in my life that I ever felt that I needed to go and travel not just go somewhere as a tourist or oh I'd like to see this place but I'm going to go and adventure like big time a big time adventure not just climb a mountain or two so that was your first that was your first like real trip your first travel yeah, I, experience I, 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 yeah, I mean, I uh, I went out to the Falklands when I was in the in the military, and I uh, I was a bushcraft instructor, so I'm used to spending long periods of time out um, doing various outdoorsy kind of stuff, lots of climbing, lots of uh, hikes, and mountain biking, canoeing, and things like that, uh, flying as well. So, like, adventure was something that I really enjoyed, but okay. never for more than like a week, or yeah. never for more than a holiday. <laughs> This was the first time it was like I'm going away with a, with no destination in mind apart from the Arctic Circle and no time limit, just get the road to go. Now the Arctic Circle is kind of like it's it's a region. Where were you actually? What country were you in? Um, we drove up through we drove up through Sweden. Okay. I, I can't remember how many miles it was through Sweden, like hundreds and hundreds of miles, and then went over to uh, Norway and then up. Norway. Mm -hmm. It looks like Norway owns the northernmost area. Yeah, you know that that is the the Arctic Circle or the portion, their portion of it. Yeah, wow. Yeah, and, uh, I was thinking about who owned it when it was like minus eleven, and I was <laughs> stuck in snow and ice. I was just thinking like, wow, this is pretty mad. Like well, you know, two months ago I was in an office somewhere, and now I'm 
stuck in snow and ice. Well, what, what did you find? And I mean that literally, like, what did you see? Like, what was it? And then what did you find mentally? Did you find what you were looking for, what your body was seeking, what your mind was seeking? I did. Um, I don't know why the Arctic Circle, but I, I, I got this list of things that I really wanted to achieve. And, and one of them was to go to the Falklands. I'd love to have gone out there, so I managed to get out there. And then I thought South Georgia would be great to go to, which is quite away from the Falklands and people don't really go there. No one lives there apart from and a few scientists. I just want to clarify that you mean yeah. in the Middle East, Southern Russia, not Southern Georgia or United States. <laughs> no, not States. No, not, and not Russia. Um, the Falkland, uh, just off Argentina. Just about there's Antarctica. another Georgia. There's another no. South Georgia. Yeah. Wait, not wait. South Georgia, like USA. No, no, the South Georgia near Azerbaijan and Turkey. No, no, Not South Georgia near Antarctica. Oh, see, I didn't even know yeah. about that one. I'm glad yeah, I clarified where, even um, further. It's where uh, Shackleton and his boys went down oh. uh, on his famous, well, not tragic expedition because they all survived, but his famous um, failed expedition. Yes. Um, so I really wanted to see that, and I managed to see that. I always wanted to fly solo, and I flown solo and and just do all these little weird things and walk across hadrian's wall with a ferret i don't know why that was a thing i wanted to do but i did it the northern lights was one of those other things i thought i'd love to see that um so we left in uh when was it? i think it was end of march beginning of april sort of time and um mid-april is when you can you know the chances of seeing the lights disappear so it was like a race, get up to the Arctic Circle, the region where I'll start being able to see the Northern Lights. The day that I got stuck in snow and ice, it was minus 11 and I just I just turned off the road to find somewhere to stay overnight. And this path just got narrower and narrower and narrower and I, I ended up getting stuck um, for hours and I was digging out for hours. I looked up, uh, sorry, I, I um, when I finally got free, I found somewhere better to park that I wouldn't get stuck in snow and ice. And I just like breathed a sigh of relief, like, oh, that was wild and I'm out of that now and that's great. And I looked up into the sky, surrounded by like all these massive pines in this clearing. And the, the sky was just like almost all the most ghostly colours you can imagine. And it was just incredible. It like brought me to my knees. So like, wow, there's that thing that I wanted to see and this is crazy and I, and I felt this like that was then you like page had turned I thought okay I got to the arctic circle what's next and um what's next in my life and what's next for me as a uh, an individual and all these mad questions that had come in my way and I, I really did find what I was looking for I'm not sure what I was looking for and I'm not sure what I found but it, it, in, it inspired and set like a spark in me that made me think like what am I about what's What's my job here? What's bigger than what I've achieved so far that I can go and get? Because I've I've done quite well for, for at the time twenty four year old. Right. So now, that started my next chapter. I, and I do want to kind of bring this up because you've mentioned it in a few of your interviews and in your website that after your mom had passed away, your best friend had also passed away, and. Shortly after that, your foster mom passed away, all within one year yeah. of each other. 
Well, it's a, the, the timeline, I think, it gets a little bit, um, was a bit skewed from what you would have seen by the media. I think you tell them one thing and they just get all the juicy bits and put it into one. It wasn't, it wasn't one year. So my friend passed away um, quite suddenly, uh, well, very suddenly. Um, and that sort of made me realise, oh, uh, we're not immortal. <laughs> you know, like the people that you know will pass away and it can happen at any time, at any age. And that was a bit shocking. Um, but yeah, within within months of my mum dying, my adopted mum passed away as well. That was like the, I lived with them for a while while my mum had a strange teenage years where I, my mum was very sick already, not with ALS, but with, with a stroke. She had a stroke in it, paralyzed her. And it went from like a perfect, um, situation with nuclear family to this real crazy fractured um existence with a step stepdad and all, like yeah it just went out the window crazy yeah. time yeah and uh so when my adopted mum then died it just brought everything to a head and i just thought i've got to i've got to change something or do something or experience something what do i want because of it could all it could all change tomorrow. And I think a lot of us understand what that feel was, even like if they've not lost anyone. But with lockdowns and restrictions and people passing away and, and the terror and fear, people know that things change just like that. Yeah. And I understand that at some point in, I don't know if this was before you decided to go on your trip, but at some point you had contemplated taking your own life. Yeah. And that is i mean it is something that is very difficult to conceive if you haven't contemplated it my sister has uh bipolar she grew up mm. not knowing until she was 18 uh she attempted to take her own life multiple times and thankfully she did not succeed because she's still here now she is a mother it's fantastic yeah that's wonderful you know when you hear little stories like that you think if that person did succeed then there'd be one less soul in the world one less opportunity one less you know all that magic of having a child and a family things like that yeah. so it's beautiful to hear even small victories like that yeah amazing. and was had you contemplated taking your own life prior to your camper van trip yeah and that's that's the feeling that I got when all these, when I was working in the job, that wasn't me when I was single after having a, a, a girlfriend and a, and a flat and um, all the things I'd wanted and, and the, the military life and stuff. Um, I'd, I felt like I just wanted to live. And the only way that I can say what that was like was when I, that I was suicidal when I was in the, in the, in the forces. Um, that's because I didn't want to live. The feeling of uh, the idea of going away and experiencing things and um, seeing the things that I wanted to see, I just felt in me that I want to live. And it was so extreme, like the two opposites. I don't want to live and I want to live. But the feeling between them or that intensity of I want to live, I don't want to live was the same. So however extreme it was that I didn't want to live and, and the time that I did, uh, attempt to not it 
was as extreme that feeling of I want to live like I want to go and do these things and and I want to travel and, and, and see things so yeah the I, I felt before that long before the traveling that I didn't want to live but it wasn't a suicidal thought that made me think I've got to go travel it was the thought of I've got to live I've got to see things I want to do things and here's my chance yeah it's like a similar feeling very strange yeah I guess they're two sides of the same coin in that sense I guess if um yeah yeah exactly like if if love is the most passionate feeling of liking someone and hate is the most passionate feeling of not I guess like wanting to live and wanting to die would be a similar uh, comparison you know? well and so so as you as you take this uh philosophy to the road and and you start to travel and you meet people what was it that i guess inspired you to to seek this new route in your life and was it the people was it uh the the culture just the general environment was there anything specific that that fueled this externally i guess yeah being on my own um was amazing um not not answering to anything other than what you want to go and do and what you want to go and see and should i go left should i go right and just just doing that for such a long time on the road just well with your ferrets i wasn't alone um, <laughs> could we can we take like one step back the the ferret yeah. can you can you just bring us up to speed on how the ferret came to be and and essentially the story behind bandit yeah i was uh driving one day in lincolnshire a place that i was uh, based rf coningsby in lincolnshire and i uh a stoat ran across the road and Stoats are like um, tiny ferrets, and it was okay. just like so fast. And I thought, man, that thing's mad. Look at it; it was like a like a sausage, <laughs> little legs that were going so quick. I thought that's wild. I want one of those. And I was in I was uh, in single living accommodation, and I wanted to to have an animal, but the rooms are too small for dogs, and we weren't allowed to keep cats. So I thought, hey, maybe I can get a ferret and like, break the rules. Um, so I found a shelter, a ferret shelter that was literally next to the, the airbase. The back garden of the ferret shelter was the wire fence for the, the airbase, which was meant to be. I found this little guy, this ferret that was, uh, I'd been there for about a year. He didn't like other ferrets because the ferrets are quite social. They like to be with other ferrets. He didn't really get on with other ferrets. So he was always on his own and he wanted to be have lots of company with with humans so we like playing and things like that and i thought yeah this guy's great so that was how it started with bandit and i thought i don't want to just keep a ferret in my room and that's that's lame i want to go out and do things with him like i would a dog or something so i did <laughs> put a lead on him and <laughs> and he used to like going out he'd, he'd run up and down the stairs and he'd run in front of me and, and a really strange relationship ferrets are like cats are very independent but they're kind of more docile like a dog in some ways kind of cross between the two um attitudes okay so he would independently run off but kind of wait like a dog um <laughs> so it was really really unusual behavior for a ferret so yeah he was just perfect company he was great he loved walking everywhere and uh 
yeah it was never like come on i'm gonna drag you out and you will enjoy your walk it was you know he inspired me to go out and and enjoy the great outdoors as much as i sort of prompted him let's go climb a mountain (laughs) so when you started to travel when you decided to take your camper van trip to the arctic um was it was there ever a question that you'd bring him Uh, i was there no not not so it was we were like he wasn't a pet and I wasn't like a, an owner that says, oh, this is my child. We were like buddies, like best mates. Yeah. And uh, I talked to him like, oh, all right, mate. <laughs> or, you hungry? Or, should we pull over here? It wasn't, you know, when people are like, like cooey over their animals, like, oh, look at them. It's not like <laughs> that. It's like, bandit, you've, oh, you've crapped in the corner again. You, oh, you're such an idiot. And like, <laughs> I don't know. It was a strange kind of relationship. So, we were like inseparable. We did everything together. I, I would take him to the pub or take him shopping. The manager at the local co-op was uh, cool with me, putting him in the basket while we went shopping. And he'd just chill with me. Like he'd just, when he'd had enough, he'd climb up my leg and just sit on my shoulder and get inside my chair and fall asleep. So there was no question. I'm going to the Arctic, bandits coming with me. Um, so yeah, no question whatsoever. Do you think Bandit, do you think it's safe to say that Bandit is one of the most well-traveled ferrets in the world, in the history of ferrets? I'd like to think he wasn't. I'd like to think that there's lots of people that do things like that. I know that there's people that have got them in the Arctic. Um, I don't know if there's many people that have taken them as far as I have. I certainly don't think there's many people that have walked the distances that I have. Or, But he's got to be the most talked about ferret for sure um <laughs> yeah for sure where's where's bandit uh, now uh heaven but okay. he was a bit of a brat so he might be in hell who knows uh, <laughs> he uh yeah a week after we returned um he, he passed away so it was like the perfect perfect oh, little wow. story yeah we went to a castle that that day and in the evening he was a bit unwell in the morning, he was even more so, and he and he passed away in the in the morning. So um, I buried him in a uh, a box of like all like nice quotes and stuff all over it that I thought attained to me and Bandit, like um, uh, the, the road less taken, you know, by um, Robert Frost. Yeah, love that poem. And uh, yeah, that's a great one for him and I. Uh, and I buried him in the woods that I was uh, I used to go to when I was pretty much on the streets I, I buried him in there so it's kind of like this strange circle i find that and maybe you've experienced it as well in your lives that things start moving circles and these circles get bigger and they get smaller again yeah it's it kind of strange how the whole thing went in a big, a big loop yeah. can you bring us through what your trip like where you were i guess point a to point b and then how long that took um so we started in nottingham um selling everything took actually quite a long time and, and getting everything sorted so that i could go away took, took a couple of months so we left in a, like i said end of april march uh from nottingham which is the center of the uk um went up to scotland to do a shakedown so if anything was going to break in the van it was going to be then i just met a girl and uh we decided that we traveled that bit together so i dropped it back off in, in nottingham so up to scotland back down to nottingham um, went across the channel into France, uh, sorry, uh, went across to Holland, sorry. And then we went to Germany, 
I uh, spent a few weeks there, a couple of weeks there. <clears throat> uh, Denmark, didn't spend too long there, just, just flew through. Uh, and then Sweden, it took about a week to get through Sweden. Um, and then Norway. Uh, by that time, it was like end, like coming up at the end of April. So the chance okay. of seeing the Norway were yeah. literally uh, <laughs> every every second of every night that I was awake, and I was like this. Like, um, and then when it happened, it was oh, man, it was mad. Then we went down to uh, spent a bit more time in Sweden in like this mad heat wave, and it was beautiful. Sweden is fantastic. Um, I was enjoying the traveling so much. And like I said, this new page had turned. I was recently single, met this new gal. And I said, let's, you've got to come out. You've got to come in and do this with me. Um, she came over to the UK to study and to learn English. She ended up moving into a van with a guy in his ferret traveling around Europe. Imagine a conversation <laughs> with her mum. Mum, I'm going to run away in this van with this guy in a ferret. So, um, yeah, I had to reassure her mum that I wasn't mad and that I was going to look after her daughter. So she met us in uh, Germany and I spent about a couple of weeks again on my own in, in Germany. Um, and then we travelled to yeah, Berlin. is amazing. Berlin, unbelievable. Uh, especially with Ferret. Meeting lots of friends. <laughs> travelled to a oh, little bit of Poland, a little bit of um, Czech Republic, then a Across to Spain, uh, France, yeah, spent a few nights in Paris, Spain, spent a few weeks there, um, got the ferry over to Italy, spent a while in Italy, uh, mainland Italy, uh, went, went down to, down the coast, uh, got a ferry to Sicily, uh, where my other half is from, and then spent a couple of months in Sicily. Wow. Um, okay. I mean, yeah. this, this ferret is definitely, and it has to be the most traveled ferret ever. I, I think so. Yeah. yeah I mean, yeah. I think in total, it's about five ferries uh, that we that we got on, um, about 10,000 miles, um, countless things and stuff that we did. I think we did about 14 countries together, him and I, in the end, the amount of countries wow. that we visited. Um, and, uh, an airplane back to the UK, no, to Holland, back to Holland, and then ferry back to the UK. That was mad, traveling with a ferry on an airplane. You know? Oh, yeah. How, how did that work? It took a lot of effort to get a, find an airline that would um, let us board with a ferret, because ferrets in the UK, ferret dogs and cats, are the only animals that have a passport. So they're the only animals that can travel quite freely. With as long as they're vaccinated and have their passports up to date, anything else is a little bit more tricky. So, rabbits, um, fish, dogs, whatever. Um, but most people don't think of ferrets as they're an exotic, so they don't consider them like good travel on airplanes. So, the airlines wouldn't let me travel. There's only one airline that would do it, and they had like certain like <clears throat> regulations about the animal and, and where I could board from and it was a lot of hard work and of course it was all in Italian because we were calling uh, it from Italy and it was an Italian airline actually and um, Italians don't really do customer service so um, we just ended up saying that it was like a cat um, they're like what is a ferret so they're like, it's a bit like a cat they're like well so is it a cat and I think in the end his ticket actually said cat but we make sure it says cat is not a cat it's a ferret so whatever <laughs> get on. Um, yeah and that's just, right. this is how it works 
and Weird. do you have do you have any any specific stories from this experience that really stand out as contributing to your evolution with your mindset and your I guess general philosophy on the world? Oh man. Um Um, I don't, I don't really know. I think, uh, it's just a culmination of the entire experience. The traveling experience on its own, I, I feel just set me up to be this guy who, so I ended up, I say ended up like I didn't plan for it, but it didn't, it all just happened working in schools. And that's something I'd always been quite passionate with. I, I love working with children and educating people and it all just came together. And I kind of got the job because I traveled with a ferret, um, which was weird. They thought, oh, you're great. You can be so inspirational for the children. So this sort of persona of this ex-military survival expert. And I was like, well, I didn't say any of that. And that's the way they sort of think of me. And he traveled to the Antarctic with a ferret. And th th all this, like, these individual things sort of painted me as this character that could work well with children just because i could say hey i took a ferret into the vatican city <laughs> what did you do last weekend and uh so that it sort of paved the way for what i'm doing now which is working with um children with challenging behavior and mental health problems and, and things like that um so i wouldn't say that it all came to a point where uh like i had this profound like an epiphany or something like that but it all came together so i can hear the helicopter yeah it's all right that's <laughs> gone um so yeah it all came to a point where it sort of led me onto a path i, I didn't discover anything straight away that went ah this is what i must go and do but it as i started thinking about it and it, it made me read a lot more and be more tolerant and appreciative and i started meditating and things like that all everything just came together and and I, I know now you're you're an advocate for uh, mental health awareness, and as you mentioned, you're doing teaching. Do do you teach now, or, or are you a speaker? I know you're. From what I read on your on your website and stuff, you're a speaker. Yeah, I mainly work with. Um, it's really difficult to sort of sum up what I do. So, before the virus, I had a. Well, I still do have a company called Adventure Bandits, um, and that was a com or that is a company where I teach bushcraft to children, disabled children, um, young adults, and children with challenging behaviour in schools to re-engage them with with learning. Um, so it's an incentive to sort of go, hey, not every kid can tolerate being stuck in a classroom all the time. Come outside, light some fires, learn how to make some. Um, traps and all sorts of stuff outside um, and then let's see how you're doing with your maths now let's see if we can boost that up a little bit okay you've done your homework great we can go and do this next time because you've done your homework or uh, there's one lad that I, I work with who um, has uh, dyslexia so we go out and do a lesson and then we write about it and we'll just pick the key words so fire and then we'll learn how to spell fire and the children that I work with uh, mental health that's um, uh, that's mainly through a uh, children's home that I work for called Sea Sanctuary um, and it's a, a big boat and we provide a therapeutic community so 
one of them calls me Uncle Charlie. <laughs> the other one uh, talks as if I'm like a, a big brother. And um, we all have like our, our different role, our different uh, niche that we um, provide to these children. Um, yeah, That's really interesting. <clears throat> so this is what you touched up on right in the beginning, I find very interesting. So it's something that I thought of many times is that uh, the school system, and I should say that I don't know the solution to this. I just know the problem. Um, the I find this school system, how it's identical for every student, at least here in the United States, to be interesting, especially when you consider the options you have once you <clears throat> become an adult as far as what occupation you choose. So you yeah. have someone who, who mentally gravitates towards being a, becoming a carpenter or a professional athlete. And then you have someone who may gravitate towards becoming an accountant or a banker. And I think those mental philosophies, like the type of personality you have to have to go into those different careers, um, can vary. And then, but you still have them stuck in the same classroom, doing the same curriculum, doing the same type of work. And I think, I, I don't know, I just don't, I, I think we have such a wide uh, spectrum of, of how we like to learn. I think, <clears throat> I think that's the key, Bob. I don't necessarily think that our curriculum is... And any curriculum is bad. I think it provides a great foundation, but I think the way it's taught could be more diversified. I mean, the the school system, at least in the United States, hasn't changed in over a hundred years, and you know we're not yeah. we're not uh, teaching to ten students now. We're teaching to thirty to fifty students at a time, and not all yeah. those students learn the exact same way. I think the, well, the real solution is trying to find a way to reach the students better with the same material because the material is what creates a foundation to learn other things later in life. Yeah. And the, the, um, the, what you mentioned there about the, the school system not changing in a hundred years, the Romans came along and introduced um, education in a, in a form then that the Victorians built on so that we could go into the fields and manage machinery and, and uh, expand our um, skills with the, industrial revolution and, and it still hasn't changed from there you know wow. it's still very much the so same it goes back the even further oh yeah it's huge the, the, the most profound thing that i that i've seen is the link between um uh children with behavior problems uh, autism um uh, adhd and the uh infant mortality rate so children are living longer now and they're being born uh, prematurely and surviving more often, there is a, a, a very close connection with these learning difficulties and premature children surviving. So our education system is now having to tailor to more children that have difficulties learning um, with the same tools that the Victorians were using to get us to use farm, farm equipment and stuff. Yeah. Wow. So that, that's really... Uh, <laughs> thing that you can uh, research for yourself uh one of the guests we had on very early in the podcast is uh florence williams and she is the author of uh, the nature fix and there's she has an entire chapter about learning outside of the classroom and mm -hmm. how she she interviews people that work with children in the same fashion you do where they do not do well in a classroom, either if it's ADHD or if it's autism, but they excel in an outdoor learning environment and they look forward to learning different things outside. And the whole premise of her book is that being in nature 
is it kind of tunes you back into who you are as a person and tunes you back into like being less stressed and healthier. Mm. Yeah, well, I don't know the I don't know the the, the research and the, and the figures well enough. I think it's something that's being discovered every day. But learning outside of the classroom has enormous enormous benefits, and I, and I I see it myself working with one uh, little girl that was like proper uh, into health and beauty, telling her get your wellies on. We're going to go light a fire in the woods. She's like. <laughs> I am not going to wear Wellingtons. <laughs> I, I am not going to... Half an hour later, she was jumping in puddles and I was like, can I run up that hill? Uh, yeah, knock yourself out. I <laughs> and um, that, just seeing that transformation and that child then socialised with children that she wouldn't normally do, work with an adult, uh, an adult male as well, that makes uh, a, a difference, a young adult male. Um, and do these things she wouldn't normally do and love it as long as you don't tell her friends because you know um <laughs> it, it's just phenomenal uh, the, the, you were working with a different kid then um it was yeah it's amazing and i see that every single time that i go and take a session no matter how successful it is because of the kind of children i work with it doesn't always go the way you plan um but i've never not seen it be something you see like a glimmer in their eye like this this oh wow there's this thing i can go and do Amazing. it seems yeah there seems to be something profound with having life experiences versus classroom experiences right so they the hands-on in the yeah. moment yeah. learning uh but yeah. it, i want to continue a little bit of the conversation because it's we've had many many guests on since our conversation with florence and many of our guests that have somewhat traumatic beginnings to their travel experiences have found that travel has helped them cope with their issues that they feel like they had or even didn't have, didn't know they had. So she even had worked with adults, especially military veterans that had PTSD or um, other individuals that had PTSD. PTSD from other traumatic experiences, worked with them outside. She even measured them using uh, a mobile EKG unit and a mobile right. MRI. And she would basically measure brain activity in a built environment versus an outdoor environment and found that it helped so much with mm. being outside and that people with PTSD were able to recover and actually feel like themselves again. And it, it, it's yeah. really powerful. It, it, this information, it's always been somewhat known, like you people could feel it, but now there's real science yeah. behind it, which I think is absolutely fascinating. It is honestly one of my favorite books I've read in, my, in the last two years. Yeah. Well, the, the, uh, the essence of what we do at Sea Sanctuary is it focuses around the idea of blue health. And that's the, the idea that being out on the sea and being literally surrounded by blue the color blue um and it's and the, and the benefits for for mental health um also when we go out on the sea we're either kayaking or paddleboarding or sailing and then you're working as a team and, and working with children that have not had that kind of trust before or, or, and that element of risk that's another yes. huge thing to be given an element of controlled risk um so that's blue health 
which is, has been researched quite extensively. And uh, what I advocate as well as, as blue health work, green health. So going into the woods and, and watching the birds and all day today, I'm in lovely Cornwall. We're on the coast right now. I'm, I'm looking over a, an incredible bay right now. It's, it's just amazing, the sun's setting. Um, but behind me is some woods. So I'll just, we've, we've just been watching buzzards and robins and all the different birds and stuff. And just come away just feeling so refreshed and, and yeah. reoriented. And, and, and that's what I like about, the, about traveling when, you, when you're not with, when, you, when you're on your own and you're just in your head and you've got to get comfortable with, with who you are. Mm-hmm. You, you have to fight who you are yes you do because you're going to be with yourself for a while and that is an enormous skill i, I can't remember the the gentleman who said it but i can't remember who it was now but the 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 to paraphrase the quote it's something like the the problem with humanity in modern times is the fact that we can't sit alone in a room um quietly by ourselves and, and that's just so true we always have to do something and so many people I know just go home and they'll, they'll stick the radio on just so there's a noise, yeah. <laughs> just because I can't be on my own. And what's my phone doing? I have to call someone. I've got to do something. I like yeah. being busy. I like doing things, but I have to have time sat on my own in silence. I think it's. I think that's a really interesting point. I mean, especially over the last ten years with the advent of the mobile phone and having the internet in the palm of your hand. And just being able to check something while you're in a waiting room or if you're, I don't know if you guys have ever done this, but I I assume Charlie, you have, I've traveled a little bit on my own and I would go to restaurants still and I didn't have uh, international cellular service. So I would just sit there and observe and just think to myself, but nobody does that anymore. If you're sitting at a restaurant table by yourself waiting for your food to come, if anybody's actually sitting at a restaurant table by themselves, they're taking their phone out and Mm -hmm. reading the newspaper or reading an article online or flipping through social medias. And there's just no time of self-reflection anymore. Or to reflect and think about it. When you're you're reading the news or you're reading um, social media or or whatever, I'm not criticizing someone's like leftist or um any other political view or whatever they have you're, you're reading something that's gonna influence you one way or another yeah but when you sit quietly and i, I do this exercise and i i find it so rewarding i go right okay look for all the bad things right now where i am look for everything bad oh there's a bit of rubbish there oh god that person is having to go at his kid and oh, i'm not so happy with that bloke or or you know, all these things like that, that person's speeding. And then you go, right, now look for all the good things. Oh, look, there's a mum and a kid. And oh, look at that bird. That's so beautiful. I'm just going to watch that for a bit. And, wow, what a nice place to live. And, Isn't the air clean? Depending on what you put your focus on, you're going to see. And you can even see it in the same thing. You can look at, uh, I, I watched a man crossing the road and he was drinking a beer and having a go at his little girl. And he, come, come on, love, keep up. And she was pushing the pram. I thought, oh, that's not very nice. That doesn't look like a nice situation to look at. And then the woman said to the little girl, we're going to grandma's later. Don't worry, you can have an ice cream then or whatever. And it was like the same situation, but there were two different things to focus on, you know? And uh, you don't see that when you're 
absorbing someone else's Facebook feed or you're going, I'm going to read this newspaper and then you get in a completely different story to what you might actually believe had you decided to have your own thoughts, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, people don't think themselves now. You have to think that's, a lot. That's, I love that, man. I, I, I love that. Yeah. I think I think that if you're listening to this right now, either pause it and do this. <laughs> Take five minutes to yourself. Think about all the good and all the bad, and then resume. Yeah, and it's uh, you can do it. You can do it wherever. Um, but I'm in Cornwall, so it's quite difficult to do that because Cornwall's pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're you're a little biased there. Something I, I am. Yeah, I it, am. <laughs> kind of. Uh, Going, I guess, taking it another a step further. I was listening to a podcast with Matthew McConaughey where he was being interviewed about his life experiences, and he's a pretty he's humble fat. guy. Yeah, he, yeah, he he's a pretty guy. incredible guy to listen to, and he made the point that he journals. And most people, however, tend to journal when they have bad days. They document bad days and how they're feeling, and it just helps them sort of clear the air. It's a it's a it's a you know mental um, activity to help you put down on paper and maybe move on. But what he was an advocate for was journaling on the good days too. Like not hmm. only not only to document um, that experience, but to be able to rely on it in the future because this is how you felt. Hmm. This is what worked. This is what makes you feel good. And so then throughout your time, you have this journal that has good, the good and the bad that you can reflect on and maybe inspire you to change your mindset by rereading your own thoughts. So it's, you're, you're going back, you're not absorbing a Facebook feed, you're absorbing your own information, but yeah. it could be a way to help you. Yeah. I made a thing with this kid called uh, a gratitude jar. And I made it with this particular child because I wanted to always have this nice thought of making this lovely jar with a particularly difficult kid. Um, and so yeah, our gratitude jar, it sat in our flat and, uh, Yara and I, the girl that I told you about, that we went traveling, we all lived together. Um, so we survived the weird travel with a man and a van and a ferret. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Um, and we've got the gratitude jar. And this is a great story. I did the same thing. So we lift the jar up once a year and read what we were grateful for at different times. And you go, oh my God, you remember when we had those tadpoles? And like, we we're really grateful for looking after a load of tadpoles and seeing them grow up and all the weird things we've been grateful for. When I opened the lid, she went, oh, is that it? <laughs> so, like, yeah, I thought that was great. You know, the fact that, oh, well, there's not many in there, is there? And I was like, it's a bit of a gratitude jar. But, um, yeah, so writing when you're writing things when you're happy, uh, I think is just as important as writing them when you're sad. Yeah. Um, but I have. you can be i think you can get carried away if you're not careful you can get carried away with being like oh it's all gonna work out it's fine this is fine this is fine this is all right the fire's gonna stop it's gonna be all right and sometimes <laughs> like it's not and you've got to be real actually this situation isn't great and i'm gonna change it by, by doing this i've learned that with the, with the lockdown thinking it's fine We're, my company's gonna be fine and actually it's really not it's like it's not going great and i'm doing things hard to sort of sort that out um so yeah, right when you're positive, but also um, take everything from your soul. You know, it's life. Yeah. Life happens, right. Yeah. 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 I think one of my one of the things that I've learned I've learned a lot from my sister and through her experiences, and 
she has spent a lot of time understanding her emotions, especially when they swing uh, from happy to sad. Mm. And one of her practices that she's kind of honed in over the last several years is mindfulness. And Mm -hmm. mindfulness means a lot of different stuff to different people and people use it for different reasons. But she she uses mindfulness to feel and understand what she's feeling and why she's feeling that way. And one of the things that I she <laughs> kind of tuned me into was that we, at every single moment of our life, are feeling something. And it can be uh, a little bit of over zero or a little bit under zero. Sometimes it's really high happiness or really low sads. But in between there is also life. Sometimes we're a little angry. Sometimes we're a little confused. Sometimes we're a little anxious. But we're all on a spectrum somewhere at any given moment in time. And even right now, like, I think if I were to analyze how I'm feeling, I'm a little, I'm happy and I'm excited because of the conversation we're having. And I'm I'm anticipating this release because I, I've enjoyed the conversation so much so far. But those are the kinds of things that she has kind of taught me to think about at any time and i think this tunes back into where uh people don't reflect on how they feel Mm. when they're doing anything because they're always so busy well here's here's a question to sort of tie that into travel how does how does travel change your mindfulness and and I don't know. I I would say I don't know if travel necessarily does change your mindfulness. Maybe it just takes you out of your comfort zone. And because when you're in your comfort zone, you are in routine. So your brain shuts off to new experiences. And when you are out of that comfort zone, when you're traveling, your brain is more amped up to experience things. It's more tuned into your senses And so I think you're willing to learn and see things in a new light. And I think that's kind of why people like to travel, because it is new senses, new experiences. I think that's an incredibly great answer. (laughs) Yeah, I like it. It is, isn't it? Yeah, I've not really thought about that before. So that's that's a nice angle. Um. Yeah, a really nice angle. At least that's that's the kind of take I've had on it that I've I, heard from different sources. I mean, I I agree with you. It is. It, I've thought about travel um, intensely, obviously running this podcast, and it always comes down to personal experience. Mm-hmm. No matter how bare bones you you want to get it, it always comes down to you yeah. and how you want to either enjoy and what you want to see and the people you want to meet and it could be for good it could be selfless but it always comes down to uh it always comes back down to you wanting to be selfless or act in a selfless way mm-hmm. when i came back from traveling i thought to myself i could have uh had as many great experiences in the uk as I had done all over the place, obviously not the locations and, and temperature, um, but uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a mindset. It's this idea of 
what you want to see, the conversations you want to have. Who do you want to hang out with? If I want to go traveling and hit all the best uh, clubbing places in the world, then I can go and do that. Or I can go and go to the best nature preserves in the world. I can go and you're going to get something different from each one of those things. And it's all about what you want to go and achieve. Um, so yeah. I think you've got to be mindful. That, that's, the, that's the mindfulness I got from it was actually I can get these experiences and, and meet interesting things and have excitement wherever I am. I can take that with me. Obviously, it's going to be more exciting walking around the uh, Vatican City with a ferret, but um, <laughs> you, can, you can achieve them kind of things when you have that mindset. And when you start looking for things, I, I've, I found all sorts of different places I want to go now. And, and uh, I'd love to do the, uh, the walk across Spain, the, um, the oh, Camino. Oh, Camino. Yeah, I'd love to do that for different reasons. I'd like to go on my own and just have like a clear head and just go and walk that the pilgrim's route. And, um, but I also quite like the idea of, sailing to the, the Mediterranean now they're, they're two really different things and one's going to take a lot of teamwork and uh, skill yeah uh, you'd be surprised and then the other <laughs> one the Camino is uh just going to take a lot of time and quiet <laughs> and walking but they're going to achieve different things for me as a person I think you achieve something different in your travels depending on well, why where how you're traveling yeah i liked what you said about it you need to it, it's your mindset and you need to decide on what you want to find you need to choose that you want to experience it in a certain way in a lot of yeah. in a lot of ways um and an example that i that immediately pops in my mind is myself and, and how i experience the wilderness around my own home so i find it I find it at first glance uh, very boring. Uh, one, because I've grown up with this type of wilderness my entire life, and it's just very flat. And so when you compare it to other portions of the United States, like the Grand Canyon or Yosemite or Yellowstone, they are they're extraordinary places to experience the wilderness. And so what I have to do when I go hiking in my own backyard is is to try to manipulate how I interpret that wilderness and whether that whether or not that's experiencing it in a way that um, you know, if someone were to come from Italy and experience my wilderness, it would be exotic to them. So maybe I go into it with the mindset that it's new uh, and try mm -hmm. to find what they may look at, uh, whether that's something specific uh, relating to, to, to wildlife or the vegetation or I don't know. It, you, you do. You need to manipulate it and and change your mindset. There is a there's work to be done. You can't just hope that you change your mindset. It's something that not only you have to work towards initially but you need to continuously uh tweak and get better at doing and just like exercising or dieting it's mm -hmm. it, it takes constant work um and it never ends you have to do it almost every day and yeah and you gotta like practice it. them you gotta hone that you know the idea when when lockdown started uh in the uk it's, it's quite strict over here and we're in a lockdown at the moment um we I really got into wildlife watching. Uh, I, I live right on the river. We live on a sailing boat. And um, we were feeding the birds and like getting excited to see different birds coming down. And, oh, wow, have you seen this bird came over today? And 
counting how many we've seen and watching the wildlife and looking at the fish and stuff. Um, when I started doing that, the more I started to notice, well, there's so much here that I didn't know. And while I was looking, I'd, I'd not seen in the UK yet a kingfisher. We have beautiful kingfishers in the UK. Bright blue, just incredible. They're like a flash of blue. And I saw it and I thought that couldn't have been a kingfisher. Not here. There's, there's too many people and boats around and things like that. And sure enough, now every, I'd say every day that I go and spend about 10, 20 minutes looking out the water, I'll, I'll see the kingfishers. Um, they've always been there and I'd never seen them. But when I decided I'm going to start looking for nature, there it was there and it was there the whole time. And yeah, that, that treasure just was just waiting to be found. You know? And it just took me deciding I'm going to go and find it. I'm going to go and look for it. And, and there it was. And, that, and that's why I think I, you can have similar experiences. Uh, you know, if you want to go and travel to go and meet people and, and experience amazing things, I don't think you need to go to like Asia necessarily. I think you can go to the next town. If you go with that right head to say, yeah, obviously if you go to Asia, you're going to meet a lot more of a diverse people than you know next door neighbors <laughs> but yeah. uh, you don't have to you don't have to go wild and spend lots of money and go somewhere you can't speak the language you can just go for a weekend somewhere and that might just be that little thing enough to go actually i quite like city breaks or i quite like going on treks or whatever yeah you know, i don't this idea of traveling with lots and lots of money i i had um uh, a friend who traveled in Spain for a month on 60 euros. And their stories are amazing, incredible. Wow. And um, I probably spent like hundreds, well, I did, I spent thousands of pounds on fuel just driving to Spain. Um, and she's had this amazing experience, equally, I'd, I'd say be much better than my experience of Spain on 60 euros yeah. for a month. So that's incredible. It's a, it's a much, when you, when you have more time and you're willing to make your dollar go further. It, it's a much slower form of travel, and it almost forces you to have that reflection and uh, and just appreciate where you are in the world. Yeah. You're not as busy, and it's nice. Mm -hmm. I mm -hmm. wish I'd stayed in places longer. I wish I'd stayed in Sweden longer. I wish I'd stayed in Berlin longer. Uh, that's my only regret about when I traveled with the ferret was the time that I spend yeah. in places. Yeah, so, that's yeah, my that's, cool. that's my regret for most of my trips, but. As as Bob and I are very familiar, we do not have that much vacation time in the U.S. Yeah. No, traveling is not highly thought of. Um, yeah, it, I don't think it. I, it's it's not, is it? And and what a well-rounded individual you become when yeah. you travel, and you have to think for yourself, and yep. you have to fend for it, and things go wrong, and things, you know. I think it's a, a real skill to be able to travel and travel well. I think it's a skill, you know? Yeah. And we've yeah. talked about this in our, we have a travel around table series where it's a discussion with four other people on topics related to travel. And we looked at, or I guess talked about how, when the millennial generation comes to being the people that hire employees, we're going to be looking at if you <laughs> took a year off to travel a little bit. And I think that'll be a, not a criteria, but it'll be looked at highly rather than looked at negatively, which is kind of what the boomer generation is doing. Mm -hmm. And uh, did your mom pay for you to fly back? 
Oh, she did. Oh, yeah, right. exactly. <laughs> we'll, we'll call you. <laughs> <laughs> um, we are we are coming to a close here, but I do I want to kind of read a quote that you gave in one of your interviews, and I love it. It's because you sold everything, right? You sold all. Uh, you had three cars. You got rid of almost all your possessions, and I think you collected almost twenty thousand pounds, and that was enough to buy your camper van and enough money to kind of go on your trip. And when you were done, you said, I have less money now, but I am much wealthier as a person. Yeah. Yeah, they like that. A lot of people are like that. <laughs> yeah, I love that. Yeah. Um, yeah, and, and, it, and it's, it's I, I stick by that. I don't regret. I've had people say to me, cool, I bet you wish you hadn't spent all that money in, uh, you know, going on holiday with your ferret. I bet you wish you bought a house or something. And it's like absolutely a house cannot give you absolutely. that experience and it cannot give you that learning right no no it can't and um that's where i am now i, I bought the sailboat and um the idea was to sail to the med um so yeah sailing can be expensive uh but uh sail fuel is free so yeah. as long as we've got good wind we'll, we'll be all right um this this area of the uk is full of hardy sailing people and lots of people have gone overseas from here so that was the plan and um i'm 26 and i see my mates like getting married and having kids and having dogs and moaning about i don't know um bonuses at work and blah 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 and, and i just feel like i'm still not ready for that i don't yeah. i don't it's it's a great thing and one day i will be responsible <laughs> but at the moment i feel like uh i think it's uh alan watts who speaks about the only true responsibility you have is to, to be the person and do the thing that like you must go and do you feel you have to go and do because if you don't do that you're not fulfilling that that urge inside of you to go and become that person or that thing and then you I'm bitter and, and you moan that you didn't do that and this person got on your way I mean I have plenty of old people that go oh and I'm not going to be one of those that's that's not going to be <laughs> a sailing boat and I'm going to go and do some sailing you know um I'm not going to sit there in a house wishing I had a sailboat at the moment I'm gonna, I, I, I'd rather sit in my sailboat wishing I had a house. I love what you just said my only responsibility is to be the person that I that I want to be yeah I think yeah. that's uh that's a, I mean, that's... I could have I could have kids, my friends, but I feel like my responsibility to my children would be to show them this was a calling and, and it's something that's had an impact on children because I know that's from the traveling and from the stuff I did with the ferret. That's inspiring children now and helping people and helping parents and teachers. And I feel like if I had kids and, and I was just boring and, and didn't follow that thing that i had to do i want my kids to look at me one day and be like wow he, he did these things and then he had us but he went and did him first before he was told to go and do something. right yeah all right uh, charlie are you are you ready for essentially what is our closing round we call it the rapid fire question round where we are going oh, to ask you yeah we're going to ask you 12 questions in rapid succession uh ah. what you'll have to do is just answer them <laughs> with the first word or, or statement uh, that comes to your mind. Okay. And, and, and then after we're done, we'll give you the opportunity to share your social media pages, what you have going on, where people can follow you and things like that. So 
Uh, are you ready right, to go? Let's do this. I'm ready. Okay. Um, I'm going to start. What is the first per? Well, I'm sorry. What is the first word that comes to your mind when you hear the word travel? Tomorrow. Oh, I like that. That's a that's a different answer. Yeah. Well, you got to have a day to pack a bag and you know, <laughs> yeah. ride your mates one last beer. That makes sense. Uh, what home comfort do you miss the most while traveling? A uh, bath. Mm. Mm. If you could swim in any liquid, what would it be? Milk. <laughs> All right. <laughs> That's an interesting Ooh. one. No, I changed my mind. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I'm sick with milk. Yeah. All right, milk, milk it is. Oh, this is me, right? Yes, yes, this is you. Uh, who would win in a fight, an accountant or a banker? Um, a <laughs> oh god, that's horrific. Uh, the the crowd cheering. <laughs> the crowd cheering. All right. All right. <laughs> would you rather drink wine or coffee for the rest of your life? Oh, coffee for sure. Yeah, okay. yeah, I think I'm there with you. Hmm. Say hello in your favorite language. Um, ciao. If you can travel with anyone in the world, living or dead, who would be? Um, Thoreau. Right. Yeah. Walden's Pond. Yeah, Walden Pond. Thoreau. Yeah. What is one item Three. remaining on your bucket list? Um, uh, what have I got on there at the moment? I've had to write a new one recently. I did most of mine. Uh, <laughs> nice. Yeah. Why not? I'm back at this. Oh, God, you've really put me on the spot. Yep. Yeah, that's the point. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think it would be to uh, finish a pilot's license. Yeah. All right. Nice. I never got to finish it. If you could pick one actor to play you in a movie, who would you choose? Oh, that is the vanity of vanities, that, isn't it? It is. Um, <laughs> oh, my goodness. Tom Hanks. Ooh. Solid, solid. Younger Tom Hanks. Yeah. Uh -huh. Younger. Uh -huh. Like, like, yeah, like uh, big, big Tom Hanks. Big, that's what I was just going to say. That's a perfect, uh, that's a perfect, I can yeah. see that. I can uh. see that. Uh, if you were stuck in a city for the rest of your life, which city would you choose? I like this one. I think I'd I'd go Berlin. Okay. Nice. By the way, it's... when you went to Berlin, did you go to Checkpoint Charlie? I did, yeah. yeah. And you so Charlie got a picture at Checkpoint Charlie, I assume? With with Bandit. With Bandit. I camped. I camped. it was it was a uh, bank holiday and I camped next to the Berlin Wall, next to the uh, the kissing politician. Oh nice. That yeah, was sick. Yeah. <laughs> if you owned a yacht, what would you name it? Uh she's called Lady Jane. Lady Jane. Why Lady Jane? Yeah. Because uh, yachts are given names when they're when they're made, and it's unlucky to change their name. So we'll have to ask the previous owner that. <laughs> okay, okay. And what is one piece of advice you'd give to yourself ten years ago? Ah, oh, wow, that's great. Um, read the book that I wrote last year, All right. <laughs> <laughs> All which right. I wrote for myself ten years ago. That's kind of oh, cool. Charlie, we appreciate your time today, and this was an incredible conversation. Before we let you go, give our audience your social media handles, your website, mm -hmm. whatever it is you want to uh, promote, and, uh, have and them definitely focus some on. of your books. Exactly. Thank you. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you can follow me on Adventures with Charles Hamilton. You can find me on Instagram under the same name. Uh, my book, which uh, for your American and European uh, listeners is called Four Hour Adventures, is on Amazon. And any South American listeners can buy it through Skull Editoria, which is a publishing house in Brazil. Yeah. Um, thanks so much for listening to me ramble. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for joining us it's today. Nonsense. Brilliant. <laughs> it was a pleasure talking with you. It's been great. Thank you, Thank you so much. It seems like a lot of our guests have found travel to be a way to cope with internal and external struggles. And I really identified with Charlie on that. And I wish I could have traveled after my mom passed away and I just haven't been able to. Yeah. It, so it, not only our guests, but when you think about it, how many books like Into the Wild and um, the one with Reese Witherspoon where she walked the Pacific Crest Trail. I don't remember the name of that, but... <clears throat> It's there's something about sort of throwing yourself into a new environment and forcing yourself to think critically and I don't know take a step back. You have to use your brain more. I don't know and and be, use your awareness, your situational awareness, and maybe find yourself. There's I, I I don't know. I probably just completely butchered that, but in my own head, it makes sense. I I think I understand what you're saying because when you're in the routine of life and something traumatic happens, you don't you're still going through the motions of your routine and you're not really actually addressing what you feel and travel helps you do that because you're with yourself and you're experiencing new things, but your emotions are ever present, especially if you travel solo. Yeah, that was uh, that was beautifully said, man. Thanks. Well, we hope you enjoyed the, this conversation today. If you are a fan of the show and want to help support us, you can do it uh, with no money at all by just liking, engaging, subscribing. That goes a really long way. Sharing. Yeah, sharing it on on social media. And then you could also just donate uh, as little as a dollar a month to contribute to the production, to the time we spend doing this, which ends up being like 24 hours for every single episode. So 24 hours per episode. So anything that you, you think we deserve based on your fandom... Uh, we'd be happy to accept and, and incredibly appreciative of. So if you could even consider that, we thank you in advance. Uh, that's it for today. So enjoy the enjoy your the rest of your week and tune in next week. <laughs>